to the SOS Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Smallwood, and you are listening to Episode 5. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, one out of every nine children in the U.S. under the age of 18 receives special education services. Chances are, if you aren't a special needs family, you know a family that is. Joan Ryan said, Motherhood is about raising and celebrating the child you have, not the child you thought you would have. This week, I'm interviewing my dear friend, Sandra Peoples. Sandra has an inspiring story of growing up with a special needs sibling and then adjusting to the role of special needs parent after her youngest son was diagnosed with autism. Sandra has dedicated her life to ministering to special needs families and recently wrote a book about the topic as well. Listen in as Sandra shares her story of hope and tenacity. Here's my interview with Sandra. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. So let's start um, by just telling people a little bit about yourself, your family, what you do. Okay. Um, I live outside of Houston with my husband, who's a pastor, and we have two boys. David is 13 and James is 11. And James was diagnosed with autism back in 2010, um, so when he was three. And so a lot of what I do is managing his paperwork and his care and his therapy sessions and um, and then really reaching out to other special needs families. I also have an older sister who has Down syndrome, and so I've been in a special needs family my whole life, mm-hmm. and I really have a passion and a calling for uh, just encouraging them, reminding them that God has a plan for their lives and that um, what they do is important and it matters. I think that's so cool. And I love how you've been able to take your experiences from the your family of origin that you grew up in and um, utilize them, not just to help your family, but to help other families that are going through um, the challenges of parenting a special needs child. So you published a book about this. Tell us a little bit about your book. I did. It came out last November. It's called Unexpected Blessings. And the subtitle is The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family, which can be surprising to people because especially depending on how long you've been in a special needs family, you may have trouble seeing the joys and the possibilities of your situation. And so what I hope the book does is it takes parents from a place of pain to really finding their purpose, to realizing what God has for them um, as far as giving back to the community. But we're not all ready to do that in those very first stages of learning about the cares that our kids have and and the needs that they have and what we have to do to take care of them. So it kind of walks parents through these stages to help them realize um, how they can care for themselves, how they can care for their marriages, how they can organize their lives in ways that make things easier for them. And then hopefully by the end, they're looking for opportunities to help other families. That's great. I think um, sometimes parents need to be reminded that there is no mistake about the family their child landed in and that, you know, you can always equip yourself to handle whatever it is that um, 
comes into your life. Yeah, that's so true. It really is. It's we we can think that, you know, like, oh, I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know this was going to happen, that God picked the wrong person. And then but the more families like us and like you and, and a lot of your listeners, when we share our stories, just like you were encouraging all of us to do, we realize how much power there is in that and how we can encourage each other to take the steps to really um, minister to other families who are like ours. Yes, I love that. So tell us a little bit about um, James and how you came to accept. So he was three when he was diagnosed. Like, what was that like as you were coming to the realization that you were going to be a special needs mom? Well, we noticed some changes in him when he was two. Um, He and David are 22 months apart. And so like his language delay at first, we thought, well, he just doesn't talk because his big brother talks for him. (laughs) You know, know, big brother talks so much and and James just doesn't get a chance. And then we (laughs) realized, you know, that that not only did he not talk, he started losing some skills Um, Like Lee, my husband would get home from work and James wouldn't even react to that. Like Mm. Lee would walk in the room and and it was like it wasn't even happening. Whereas most, you know, two year old boys and kids, they 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 were all excited. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. here's somebody new and somebody to play with me. And and so at his three year well visit, I was finally really honest (laughs) with the pediatrician. And I said, here are the things he can and can't do. And um, there was a an occupational therapist who went to our church and she was a huge help to me and kind of guiding me through, um, you know, okay, Sandra, here's what a typical three-year-old is doing. And, right. and James isn't doing that, but especially because some of those motor skills, you just don't see, you know, like mm-hmm. as, as parents, as opposed to educators who, you know, see that right. age of kids all the time. And, and so um, we scheduled, testing for him the the hard thing about those early days is that everything takes so long so you finally decide that you want to get your kiddo tested and then you have to you may have to wait months for that to happen yeah and then you get the test and then they say well you may have to wait on the results you may not you know just depending on who you're going through and um we went through our school district and they they told us that day you know, we think your child has autism. And in my mind, all of the pieces just fit together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, good. We have an answer. We have a diagnosis. We can work with we this. can do yeah. this. But yeah. my husband had a very different reaction. He was like, he went through those five stages of grief. Yeah. And that's when it started for him. And, and so we reacted very differently to the news. Whereas I went like straight into warrior mom mode. He mm-hmm. was in like sinking down into depression and, and questioning. And I had gone through that too, but just at a different timeline, you know? Right. And so we really had to uh, be gracious with each other, which we didn't always do great at. Like I remember telling Lee, Hey, I want to do the gluten-free dairy-free diet. And he was like, well, Mm -hmm. why? And I'm like, because everybody says that we have to do it. You know? And he was like, but but I don't understand. Tell me why. And I was like, dude, you get on board. You know, like, <laughs> like we're doing this, whether right. you agree or not. And so that was a real a point for us, for me to have to kind of step back and say, no, we, we need to be a team on this and work together. And for him to understand, 
that I was already a few steps ahead and that, that mm-hmm. I wasn't on purpose excluding him. I was just already in problem solving mode. You know, you and I right. have very similar personalities. Yes. And- <laughs> I was going to ask, we're both Enneagram one. We are. What is your husband? He is a three. Okay. And so, you know, he, they're the achievers. And so, yes. um, and they're great entertainers. They're great people, people, you know, they, and they see the best in people and they want to bring that out. But, um, you know, just that, that whole shock to his system of something is wrong. And, you know, coming from my family of origin with a sister with Down syndrome, disability wasn't a big deal (laughs) to us. It was just normal. You know, I grew up at Special Olympics and I grew up hearing about IEP meetings. And, and so that language was already familiar to me in that way. The struggle then (laughs) for me was thinking that I had already done my time in yeah. a family like this. And so my, um, as I worked through those first months of, you know, being in warrior mom mode, but also being very angry and kind of resentful mm-hmm. that God would call me <laughs> to such a hard life when I felt like I had followed the rules <laughs> that yes. he had laid out. And that I, I feel you, girl. Yeah, and I was like, okay, God, my reward should be, you know, that we <laughs> right. two plus two equals four. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's, that's a lie. Prosperity gospel had kind yeah. of infiltrated and I didn't even know, you know, like I, I have a seminary degree and I'm married to a pastor and, and but until it's real life, sometimes you don't even realize what you believe until you have to put it in action. And so that was a real, I mean, it was, it was God's grace <laughs> to me right. to pull me out of that, but it was a hard, you know, that first full year I think was just, I use, I always would say, God loves me. God loves James. And I would just repeat it and repeat it because what I was thinking was God doesn't love me. And this right. is my punishment for that. And so right. I had to retrain myself to really realize that, that it wasn't a punishment. No, that makes so much sense. I love how you're intentional about your older son, David, and um, the way that you parent him. Um, from the outside looking in, it looks like you make a lot of effort um, to acknowledge him and to help him have a life independent of being a special needs sibling. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I do think that's a real passion of mine, especially David is now 13. Mm-hmm. And there's um, there's some phases that special needs siblings go through. We usually call them the typical siblings in a special needs family is kind of right. the, the words we use. And, um, you know, and we talked when I talked about Enneagram stuff and, and one of the reasons you kind of get your Enneagram personality is that especially for ones, we have we have tried to be perfectionist all of our lives that came right. from when we were little. And so I, I can see that when I was growing up in a special needs family, I thought I have to be low maintenance. I have to follow the rules. I can't distract my parents from caring for my sister. And so, you you know, you can see how mm-hmm. that shapes a personality. And so I'm very um, intentional about making sure David um, feels seen and heard and that his gifts are encouraged. He's really into drama. He has a real gift for being up, which, you know, he has a dad as a preacher and a mom <laughs> who speaks some. And so being on stage is not a big deal to him. And so we try to really encourage that. And then just one thing I really try hard to do 
is not shame him for the emotions that he could be feeling. You know, if he's mm-hmm. embarrassed by his brother or angry at his, you right. know, they can't fight like typical siblings fight. James can't, I mean, there's three levels of autism and James has level three autism, which means he's mostly nonverbal. Um, mm-hmm. So even though he's 11, he's much more like a, about a two and a half year old. And so a 13 year old fighting with a two and a half year old, right. you, could, you can imagine that, that, that just can't happen like it would for a typical 11 Which could be frustrating to both of them. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And so I try not to say, well, David, get over it. <laughs> or, right. you know, you have to make accommodations for him. And we do have those conversations, but we have them after the moment of, of whatever the conflict is, where I say, oh, man, I know this is hard. I know that was embarrassing. I know that that this is a that you hate having to wait on your brother to leave when you're ready to go. Or, you know, I mean, it could be big things or little things. And, and so, and then later we come back and kind of talk about how we can handle these things in a different way. But in the moment, I never want him to feel like it's bad or wrong. The feelings Mm -hmm. that he's feeling, because he is a big feeler. Whereas I tend to be a little more logical. He is much more driven by his emotions. And so Mm -hmm. For me, the easy thing would be to just say, we'll get over it. Right. <laughs> but, but he doesn't do that. He he kind of carries those things with him. And so I really, you know, I mean, it's not perfect, but I, you know, I just pray for God's grace and grace from him and just try each day to to just meet his needs and, and make sure he knows that he is seen and heard in this family. I think that's super important. So um, you talked a little bit about when James was first diagnosed and that impact on your marriage because you guys processed it differently. Um, How do you maintain your marriage with a child that basically needs you 24-7? Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, we're in this phase now where most of our parents, other parents who are friends of ours have teenagers, you know, and so they're experiencing this. And so, and we're still kind of in toddler phase and we could be potentially forever. Like we will never be empty nesters. My sister could come live with us someday. James will need care his entire life, whether that is in our home or in a place where he lives, but we still oversee his care. And so when you think about that, like there's, our marriage isn't going to go through the seasons in the same way that a typical marriage is. And so we really have to be intentional about communication. You know, that's Mm -hmm. one thing is we have to keep communicating our needs, our expectations with each other and, and meeting those and talking about those and then being intentional about spending time together away from home, which is hard to do because uh, with kids like James, it's sometimes hard to find babysitters, you know, right. and, not, and not just anyone can step in. Right, right. Because he needs his routine to be maintained. Yeah. And we don't want to put that on David every right. time, you know, to say, okay, well, you want, and, and we do for short periods of time, but like, not for the length of a, going to see a movie or something. Right. Like, I don't leave them alone for something like that. And so our church has respite nights. Um, every two months and so special needs families can drop off their kids and the typical siblings if they want to and then they watch the kids you know for three hours and parents 
have an opportunity to um, do it. And some parents like go to the grocery store by themselves, right, take a know. nap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but Lee and I try to do dinner together out somewhere and, and try to spend time with um, other couples, you know, that we enjoy being around. And, and so just that like focus time together has mm-hmm. been, we have to be intentional about it, but it is really important. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to share a little bit about advocacy. Um, when you're a special needs parent, I know my son that needed an IEP through school, like I dreaded those meetings yeah. and um, all that went with it and all of his therapy appointments and all of that can be really taxing, yeah. but you are their voice. And so talk a little bit about how um, you advocate like your style and what how you encourage parents in that because not everyone um you know depending on your personality and whether you're introvert extrovert like it's not comfortable right to advocate sometimes and how do you find that mama bear voice (laughs) when you need it right yeah and and a lot of it depends on the schools you were in like we lived in Pennsylvania when James was diagnosed and we lived there for a long time and um the services there were amazing I mean like Mm -hmm. they were giving us things I didn't even know to ask for, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we moved to Texas three years ago and it is literally like stepping back in time (laughs) as far as autism services go. Now there's lots of great things about Texas, but this specifically is a challenge. And so I had that first IEP meeting and I was like, I want this. They're like, we don't do that. Like, well, I want this. Well, we don't do that. I'm like, well, what do you do? Like, (laughs) yeah. Like one of the fights that we had was um, James is very uncomfortable in a mainstream setting. Like it causes him a lot of anxiety. And they were like, well, he has to go to social studies with the other kids. And I'm like, well, but he doesn't (laughs) like he really doesn't. And so that first year in Texas was a big learning curve for me because I didn't push as hard as I should have. And because I was trying, you know, like you, like, we try to be low maintenance. We try to right. just get along. We try to say, okay, here, and, and a lot of parents are that way, but we had a situation where we thought he was being um, sexually abused because he was coming home with um, blood in his underwear. And, yeah. and, and um, I mean, nothing's going to shake you out of right. trying to just get along. Like, like you think your child being violent, especially a nonverbal kid. Cause I'm like, right. baby, is somebody hurting you? And, and he has no words to answer right. that. Oh. And so, you know, like we pulled him out of school and we had some pretty serious meetings and we had to take him to a sexual assault nurse for an evaluation and the police got involved and all of that. And it turned out to be, he had some diaper rash and they were just wiping it too hard as they helped him with toileting. And that was causing mm-hmm. the bleeding, which was a great resolution, but it did really forced me to like you said he has no voice (laughs) and I am his voice and so my I'm going to be very clear and I walk into IEP meetings with a binder (laughs) and say you know here's all the information on him and here's what he's great at and here's what he loves and here's what he's struggling with and here here are the ideas I have and I want to help you make these happen you know like I really try to view it as I am part of the team that's going to make this happen. We're going to do all we can at home to -hmm. support you at school. And I expect you at school to support what we're doing at home. 
And I love that you said that you walk in there with starting with the things that he's good at and what are his strengths. And because sometimes I think those meetings can be so defeating for parents. Yes. Because everyone wants to focus on what your child can't do or what they're not doing well. Right. And we as the parents can take control and say, well, let's start with this. Right. This is a wonderful, amazing kid. Yeah. And if we can keep that in the forefront of people's minds, I do think that helps them with perspective. Yeah, I think so, too. And we really, you know, I mean, you feel completely outnumbered. There's a, a there, there could be six or seven people sitting around that table and you're the only yes. parent. And so it does help when you kind of walk in and and set that tone, like you said, and just kind of not take over, but just say, you know, I have opinions, too, and they are valid and we are all mm-hmm. going to listen to those yeah. And I'm going to listen to each one of you as well. I don't know if you heard on the news, um, but our local school board was in the national news recently, unfortunately, for a classroom, a self-contained um, classroom with nonverbal children. And there was abuse taking place. Oh, no. Um, and a mother sent a recording device inside her daughter's Oh, Yes. And that eight-hour recording will make your I stomach turn. I see that. Yes, it was awful, awful. It is awful. And and it just made me so aware um, of the powerlessness sometimes that you can feel as a special need parent. Right, right. And one of the but things. also the difference you can make. That woman knew, yeah. just like you, there's something wrong with my child. They right. can't tell me what's wrong, but there's something wrong. And you should always follow your gut on that. Yes. What were you going to share? No, I just, one of my passions now is we live in a, in a town where the Hispanic population is close to 50%. And I just mm-hmm. imagine how powerless oh, yeah. these non-English, you know, if English isn't their first language or, you know, I'm a, I'm a work from home mom. So I have all day to sit on the phone with an insurance or a doctor's like I can do that. And, and working moms and single moms, they can't do that. And so one of like, I just try to tell myself every battle I fight for James is a battle that another parent may not have to fight. Yeah. And so if I can get in there and really, and, and help the staff know what my expectations are, but then invest in these other moms and say, look, this is, you can ask for this or don't agree to that. Um, Then I just feel like that serves all of us. Yes. I love that. Um, I know that you do have a focus also in your ministry of how churches can come around and support special needs families. Um, So would you talk a little bit about that? We may have listeners who don't have a special needs child, but there are special needs kids in your church. And maybe you can talk about the ways that they could step up and wrap around those families. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, uh, we came to the church where we are now about two years ago and we, my husband was interviewing and, and we said, well, do you have a special needs ministry? And they said, no. And I said, well, you do now <laughs> because, <laughs> because we are here and, and I can't come to church if, James isn't being looked after and and especially as he grows bigger you know the services have to help accommodate him and so there's lots and lots of churches that that the need hasn't even occurred to them yet but lots of them are doing it anyway you know if a family's showing up and they may have this kid who just has needs a little bit extra help they're doing that and so that's Mm -hmm. amazing even if you don't call it special needs ministry or disability ministry you're, if you're just doing ministry and meeting the needs of the kids, that's a huge thing. But if you want to start getting intentional about 
reaching families like mine. Like there was a study last year that said families of kids with autism are eight times less likely to attend church mm-hmm. than a typical family. I mean, like, and I consider special needs families practically an unreached people group. Like right. I am a missionary to this group of people and I'm trying to draw them in to not only the hope that we have in Christ, but also the community the community. Yes. Right. Yes. And so, you know, a lot, some things that our church family does for us is, is they make accommodations for him. They make sure that he's safe. We have at our church, like a sensory room um, that he loves. And we have other kids who maybe are able to sit through part of the service and then they come into the sensory room and, and do their lessons there. And so some of that is very strategic, but mm-hmm. a lot of it for just general church members is just is just seeing us and loving us. You know, like um, Easter Sunday recently, I took James into the sanctuary, which we don't normally do because daddy's the preacher. And right. that's, a you know, it's hard for James to understand why he can't go up on stage. But man, our church people were so excited to see oh. James and they don't overwhelm him, you know, because mm-hmm. he does have some sensory issues, but they, you know, they fist bump or they high five or, you know, whatever he kind of initiates, he does, he, they do that. And, you know, and it's, it's not uncommon. Like if Lee's out of town, they'll bless me with, with gift cards to Chick-fil-A. I mean, you know, they just, they, awesome. they notice that there's a need and they take action instead of just saying, Oh, somebody should do that, right. you know, or like somebody else should do that. But they, this church that we're in now has been a huge, huge blessing. And one of the th- gifts that they give to me is they don't expect me <laughs> as the pastor's wife to be at everything because they know unless that's not feasible. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work for us. And so they've, they've never made me feel guilty you, they, you know, like, cause some people, well, we really missed you at the, you know, but they say yeah. it with that, that tone. And so, but this church has just been so gracious and, and accommodating and, and, you know, and that starts with each individual, individual member, like they just make the choice to say, okay, I'm going to show this family grace and I'm going to love them. And then it helps in our community too, because they know James and they see him maybe uh, shriek. You know, he, he makes right. a lot of noise. Well, then the next day they're at the grocery store and they see a kid shriek and they say, oh, he probably has autism like James. Right. Instead of saying, well, that mom really needs to get control of her kid. Yeah. Then they're able to give grace to the whole community. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I just, there's these ripple effects of. Yeah. Of that this. frame of reference. It yeah. Provides for them. That's awesome. So. I think this question is really applicable to you. I'm, I'm very curious for your answer because I ask it of everyone, but for a special needs mom, like I said, you're like 24 seven. Yeah. Um, how do you retain your sense of Sandra in that world? Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, there are, I try to tell myself there are things that anybody can do and there are things that only I can do. Um, Mm -hmm. Only I can be Lee's wife and David and James's mom. And so there's lots of things that I say no to lots and lots. Like I don't, I don't go up to James's school and volunteer uh, because Mm -hmm. I just, anybody can do that. And so that helps me kind of center in on who I am and what brings me joy and pleasure because I can say no to all the things that would water that down in my life. And so, um, 
the things that, that fill me up are serving other families, encouraging churches to, to reach out and do special needs ministry. And so for me to have time to do that, I have to say no to a lot of things. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's been, you know, and that comes in seasons. Like, like we were talking about the book earlier, like that wasn't happening for me when James was three and five and seven, (laughs) you know, but now that he he'll turn 12 this year and he's in school all day. Now I do have the capacity to do that. And, and really he'll age out of the school system at 22 and that will be another huge change for us. And so Um, you know, I have to keep asking myself, what is giving you life right now? What does your body need? Because like I said, we're, we're, we will never be empty nesters. I could have to actually care for him. Like my sister lives with my parents. My parents are in their late sixties. You know, I mean, this has been life long for them and it will be for me too. And so I have to really be aware of, self-care and right those kind of practices such a good point so on a more lighthearted note before we close what are you watching reading and listening to these days <laughs> well um I am reading a good book that's going to come out uh, I think August by my friend Jolene Philo and it is uh a book about the love languages for special needs families. I saw that. Yeah. That great. Yeah. It is going to be really good. And so she sent me an early copy so I could do an endorsement. And so I've really been enjoying that. Um, Cause that, I mean, it, like we talked about with siblings, with spouses, like you have to be a little bit more aware and intentional about mm-hmm. showing each other love. Right. And so that's what, um, that's what I'm reading and reading really takes up like, you said reading, watching, and listening to reading would be like 90%. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Of that. <laughs> so watching, you know, I don't have any shows that we watch a lot of sports in our family. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're watching, we're doing that. And, and which is funny because David is not into sports at all. So he'll walk into the room and just kind of roll his eyes, roll you his know, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> at whatever Lee and I are watching, but that's something he and I enjoy watching. Lee and I enjoy watching together. And so, um, we're keeping it like right now it's the end of the NBA basketball season. And so playoffs right. are going and on and hockey playoffs. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. So we're kind of switching and, um, so doing that. And then, you know, I, I'm still, um, recovering from Easter and just the really rich Easter music that we mm-hmm. get to experience like Andrew Peterson and his resurrection letters are, there's a volume one and a volume two. And I have had those on repeat for just the last couple of weeks, just really reminding myself of um, the grace, you know, that we find in that Easter story and just how far reaching that is, how, yes. how it affects all of our families in different ways. And, and even us in different seasons, there's things that we focus on um, at different times. And, and, you know, yes. I, I tend to be a very like black and white, right or wrong kind of thing. No, really? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> you and I have this in common, I think. And so, you know, like it really helps me to, man, like, like seeing Peter and seeing the disciple Mary and just all of their stories and how, yes. how they all worship the risen savior and how he, came to erase their shame and and the things that they were carrying and so I don't I'm still kind of not over (laughs) those those that Easter music that I've kind of been immersing myself in 
That's awesome. Well, girl, I think that we could probably talk all day, um, but I'm so excited for people to hear your heart and also to read your book. And I'll be putting links to all of that on our show notes page. Okay, great. Um, at melissasmallwood.com slash sharing our stories. And thank you so much for your time today. Oh, yes. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye. Bye. Isn't Sandra great? I could have talked to her for hours, as I'm sure she had much more wisdom to share. I guess you'll have to go buy her book to glean the rest. Our oldest son had special needs growing up, and I remember feeling overwhelmed, isolated, and inadequate. I wish I had known someone like Sandra back then. If you or someone you know is parenting a child with special needs, give the gift of Sandra's book, Unexpected Blessings. I'm sure it will bless them and serve as an important reminder that they're not alone. Until next time, go write your story. Thank you.